0: our third episode of The Urban Village. I'm so glad you're here with me this evening. Well, for me, it's evening. I'm working on this project. I have a lot of things I want to talk about this week. Um, I want to really kind of begin with a little bit more about Pacoima. I thought about music. I thought about the spirit and how that moves you and makes you do things. And then I thought about, well, you know, just that kind of hanging out sound. And we used to have this really, really amazing record shop on Van Nuys Boulevard called Joe's Swing Shop. It is an icon. You could go in and there was everything in the world that you could enjoy and have things that were like, wow, this is the bomb. Joe's was amazing and you know unlike today where you can go online for everything you literally could go into Joe's and get concert tickets the latest LP the latest 45 yes a 45 a 45 and it was just a hangout spot I remember you know sneaking out and hanging out with you know my friends and All of the new entertainers and singers would kind of make a pop-up because there weren't really a lot of Black music hangouts. And that was a place. Joe Swingshop. Yeah, Joe Swingshop. Owned by the Lowe family. I wonder where they are. I wonder what's going on. Love to talk to them. And so I'm going to do a little digging on that. Digging I will do. Um, I want to dig down a little bit, like I said, into making sure that Andre and Sandra Crouch get a Kennedy honor. It's not that hard of a process. You know who did some research and uh, Joe Smo, or I should say me, Smo, private citizen, is going to make it happen. So, you know, I'm going to need you because we're going to do this. I spoke uh, to Nicole Chase, who is Nicole Chase. Her father is responsible for giving BoCoima. First it was the Teen Post, and now we know it as the Boys and Girls Club of San Fernando Valley. He is and will remain iconic and a legendary humanitarian without the Boys and Girls Club, which services all of the youth in BoCoima. I don't know what it'd be like, but Nicole said to me, you know what, you do this project, Uh, this top secret project that I'm working on, and you know, you're going to put Bacoima on the map and give it the recognition that it so deserves. I don't know about that, Nicole, but I know that I love Pacoima. It's home. It's where my mother and my father, God rest his soul, I lost him last year, um, did everything. They saw the world as opportunity for their children, and I so appreciate Buklema. Having said that, I wanna know a little bit about what you think. So I'm gonna give you my email, and I want you to jot me an email. You ready? Here we go. My email is claretta Street Series at gmail.com. Series, all lowercase, at gmail.com. We're gonna have on the show, on this podcast, I'm gonna let you speak with Elaine Gibbs. Elaine Gibbs is amazing had a conversation with Elaine today, and she's super busy, uh, but has guaranteed me that when she returns to LA, I get an interview with the Elaine Gibbs. I can't wait. I really, really can't wait. You know, it's one of those things that I think about her as being in suspended animation. Even though she's constantly been working, for more than, shoot, 25 plus years. She feels brand new. And I can't wait to share her with you and the rest of the world. Elaine Gibbs is coming. I'm also gonna have a talk with um, a Boquema icon, um, Mr. Prevost, Lloyd Prevost. You can't talk Bacoima without talking to Lloyd and Lloyd, I'm going to reach out to and get him in. And remember, I'm still going to have that conversation and get with Sandra Crouch. Have to, have some things in mind. I belong to a couple of um, federal US historical preservation societies. And one of the things that I'm gonna work on and uh, I'm just trying to get it together with my production company, which is called Brown Bear, is to put together a documentary on Bacoima and the aspects. And one of the aspects that I'm going to talk about is Andre and Sandra Crouch and the historic black churches in Bacoima. And, you know, there are really two amazing, actually three, including their father, but there are two amazing ministers and the history that I want to bring up in that documentary and uh, I want to see if I can get historical uh, designation for Bacoima and those churches as well so it's a lot of work to do I mean a lot of work and I'm going to do it with your help we're going to do this community is everything next thing I want to talk about is just really must talk the United States. I cannot believe what's going on in terms of reproductive rights. I can't believe that after the summer of 2020, culminating in the George Floyd trial of 2021, that really nothing has changed. And You know, the history of America in terms of policing is one in which I think we need to have kind of a come-to-Jesus moment on. It is a very, very true statement that the original um, slave patrols or paddy rollers, as they were called, were there to basically um, manage runaway slaves and uh, to keep order in terms of slaves, or I should say, enslaved Africans, let's be clear. And that that relationship in terms of law enforcement has a really ugly and sad, deep rooted history that we need to either fix or find another model. It's gonna be one or the other. Either you fix it or we're going to have to find another model because it is so totally unfair. I I, I can't watch another video with an out-of-control white person who gets a hamburger when they do something heinous and watch an innocent black man be gunned down. I can't think about January 6th and not think that if those were uh, people of color, there would be blood dripping down the stairs of the Capitol. Enough is enough. It's just gotta stop. It's just gotta stop. And that's why having the village is so important. The village is community, it's protection. It allows us to have uh, governance, self-control, the ability to take care of ourselves and protect ourselves. You know what I think happened? Integration was a beautiful thing in the 60s. Integration was beautiful, but it was maybe a bit destructive. Because in the black community, when we, before integration, during segregation, we had everyone living in the community. We had doctors, dentists, lawyers, teachers, mechanics, everyone. And then we had those people who just wanted to do their own thing always. They've always been there. So we we can't kid ourselves and go, I don't know what happened. They are always there. You know, sometimes you may say, well, you know, the undesirables, whatever you want to call it, it was there. You know, the riffraff, it was there. But one thing about it, because we were all in a community together, there was a sense of order because those people, maybe you don't like this, but higher up in the food chain, made sure that there was a sense of order. Like, hey, you know what? You want to do that, but you can't do that here. There was a sense of boundaries. We don't have any boundaries because you know why? Integration allowed us to move out of the community. And the people, whatever you want to call them, the riffraff, roughnecks, undesirables. Um, I, I don't use the word thug or who I think that's for somebody else. But they said, OK, now we're going to run everything the way we want to run it. All right. Now it's ours. So the idea of, you know, trying to go back to community and say, OK, I'm I'm, I'm here. I want to give uh, order. I want to bring it back. It, it's going to be a hard toe. It's going to be a hard toe because, you know, the individuals who are in troll don't want it. You know, it's like all the animals got out their cages. I don't even use that analogy because they're going to say, there you go, call yourself an animal. But it's like. There is no order, you know. People like anarchy, snitches get stitches. We didn't have that coming up, it wasn't that. It was a sense of community. The village was the all important point because we knew without it, regardless of what we did or achieved, we had to have that community. It was so important, not just to our physical existence, but our emotional, our spirit existence. And somehow we have to figure a way to bridge that to bring back community. We need it. Even if we have to um, figure out community um, on a level of, gosh, I don't know, Google, Google conversation, Zoom, whatever it may be, um, we need to figure out how to keep our community back. I know it's difficult in the end, in, in, in everything going on with COVID. You can't have that, but we desperately need community. And let's work together to figure out how do we get community back? That is one of the top ways we will be able to have a legacy, to persevere, because at the rate we're going, the people who were left behind the community, They like the chaos because they're easily manipulated by others who want to see us gone, right? That whole, you know, Willie Lynch isn't real, but it's the divide and conquer. Then we got to beat it. Yeah, we have to beat it. You know, speaking one thing, and I know you think this is just, you know, for black women or women of color. It's not. I really want to spend a little bit more time on this episode talking about the importance of black men. And I really want to take a moment to talk about my own personal experience. You know, in 2020, I lost my father. And, you know, flawed as he was, he was perfect for me. He was the first man I ever loved. And he taught me what real men do when they love, when they protect, when they care. I have no illusions, I have no falsehoods about the power of Black men, their ability to love, to nurture, to protect. Because regardless of his limitations, I have no doubt and I will go to my grave knowing that my father could love, cherish, and protect us. He was that kind of guy. Flawed as he was, he was that kind of man. And I so appreciate that. I wish sometimes we would point out not only our flaws in our men, but their strengths. Because there is an abundance of good and we need to make sure that our young men, our boys, understand that they have to be protectors. They have to be nurturers. They have to be Providers, They have to be all things important to the extension of the family, to the village, to community. And we have to make sure we give them that. We teach them that. And, you know, I don't agree that it's going to always be like, it takes a man to raise a man. Yeah, like I said, it doesn't always take a man to raise a man. I'm not going to agree to that. My father was very much his own man at a very early age and he took care of his own family, his own older brothers and sisters. He was out there hitting it. Um, He he had a family by the age of 19. I had, you know, look, I had teenage parents. Yes, teenage parents. But you know what? They had a village. Listen again, they had a village. My mother, her mother, her grandmother, they made a way, made a provision, and made sure that, you know, when my parents got married, guess what? They were able to give them their first home, be there for uh, my parents. They had assistance. They had a village. And, you know, I never regret that I had young parents because it was the most rewarding thing. It was like, had this village that made it just exciting to be a kid with these parents who were vibrant and young and just seeing the world and seeing all the opportunities that it had to give them. Um, just kind of thinking, looking at my notes here, and I wanted to mention another person that came in and out of the coin Silently, but went on to do great things. And that's uh, Cynthia Horner, who was the creator. And, I, I, you know, depending on your age, you might remember this. Right on magazine, Cynthia Horner lived on Claretta Street. Hmm. Wonder why I brought that up. But, you know, she, her dad uh, went on, I believe, to become the mayor of either Newberry Park or Thousand Oaks. Um, and she had a brother my age and a, a sister that was a few years younger. But, uh, I mean, she still loved reading, like, Nancy Drew mystery books. I was like, what was that about? She's a little older than me. I've reached out to her a couple of times, and I think, you know, she doesn't want to deal with, you know, Bokoima. But Cynthia, we at Bokoima appreciate you honor you for all of the the accomplishments that you uh, you put together all by yourself. That was a huge deal. Starting a magazine, write-on magazine. I can't tell you how many times we, you know, peeped it for Michael, Jermaine, Tito, the Silvers. You're awesome. Even though you don't want to talk about us, we claim you for life. Yeah, we claim you. Also, Mr. George Lopez—you know, Mr. Lopez, George, the comedian—he's a San Fernando High School alumni. I believe it was in my younger brother Patrick's class. Very quiet. You wouldn't even think that was George Lopez. Yes. So you know, there's all these stories. Now that's who I'm trying to figure out how I can get in contact with him. Have a real deep conversation about what Pacoima means to him, what growing up was. He uses, you know, his childhood in his comedy. But he never really talks about, my hand, But I'd like to have a conversation, Mr. Lopez, George. Hopefully my people can reach out to your people and look at me. Hey. You know what? Looks like we reached the end. I want to say thank you so much. I really hope you got something positive and it lifted your spirits and that we move forward as a community, as an urban village. Until the next time, which is next week, when we'll try to get two podcasts out to you. For sure, one, I, my executive producer, Reggie Ballin, And Karen Bennett say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Along with my co-creator, Don Carter, we say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Remember, the real story is not told until the lion is a storyteller and the hunter is not. Love you much. Stay safe. Be well. Bye-bye.